Coming up, Vikings OTAs continue. We'll get you caught up with all the biggest headlines from TCO, including Justin Jefferson's contract negotiation, plus which two teams the Vikings will host in joint practices during training camp. It's all coming up next on today's mailbag edition of the Football Party. Locked on Sports Minnesota podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings Insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Back in the lab, another edition, Football Party, Lockdown Sports Minnesota Network, daily breakdown, everything Minnesota Vikings, which you can now find streaming on your Roku and Amazon Fire Stick devices. Just look out for and download our Lockdown Sports Minnesota app there as well. That's Reggie Wilson stopping by every Wednesday and Friday. Care 11 Sports Director, he's on Twitter, at Reggie Wilson TV. We got Sam Ekstrom on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom. Co-host of the Ron Johnson Show every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Fellas, first things first, quick reminder, don't forget this episode brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook partner of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Okay, boys, uh, mailbag edition today. we got plenty of hard-hitting questions to get into, including some talkers about possible Kirk Cousins extension, what that could look like. Also, will we finally see some movement in the Dalvin Cook saga as June 1st finally hits tomorrow? I want to start here first, though, Sam. You were live on-site at TCO and Egan yesterday where Vikings OTAs pick back up. You tweeted out the roll call. Harrison Smith and Jordan Hicks, they were finally back. Handful of guys on the rehab field, including Brian O'Neill and Harrison Phillips working their way back. You had Jordan Addison and our guy Malik Knowles, both present it sounded like, but not participating. Quick side note on that too. I know KOC mentioned in his presser, which we'll get to, they're just being extremely overly cautious with Jordan Addison, by the way, it sounds like. Malik Knowles, quick side note, that UDFA that we both very intrigued about, wide out from Kansas State, he's still working his way back from a PCL surgery last February. But the three big names who remain absent, Justin Jefferson, Daniil Hunter, and Dalvin Cook. Now, KOC in the post-presser, he mentioned not too worried about JJ. Feels good about, all right, he's working out with his guys down, I think, in Florida, staying in shape. Feels good about the conversations that have taken place about that contract and all that. I guess everything seems fine and dandy here, Sam. At what point does maybe a little red flag pop up where fans – maybe start to get a little anxious or a little nervous when it comes to getting your superstar player back on the field. What's just the realistic timetable look like if you had to mark something down on your calendar with Justin Jefferson? <clears throat> well, I wasn't really concerned at all about Jefferson missing OTAs. And then KOC gave his answer yesterday. And he, I don't know, he, he almost seemed a little bit, just a little bit in a very KOC kind of like friendly, kind of passive aggressive way, like he wasn't thrilled about it. Uh, he said, we want him here as soon as possible. Like the guys would be really excited if he was here, uh, but he didn't really give a timeline on it. 
He didn't say, oh, yeah, well, he'll be here for mandatory minicamp. He didn't say that, uh, which made me think that, that maybe there was uh, a little bit of hard feelings, like, uh, why is this deal not done yet? But then I heard that Mark Rosen dropped a nugget that maybe there's some uh, some Justin Jefferson news coming down the pipeline soon. Maybe that extension is sooner than we think. So it might be much ado about nothing. I've always felt like the Justin Jefferson extension would get done. It's just uh, a very large dollar amount they're giving out. So the negotiations are going to have to go back and forth a little bit with the total dollar figure, the total guaranteed. Is it going to be front loaded or back loaded? There, there's just a lot of fine print in a contract of that magnitude. So I, I'm not really worried about it until he misses mandatory minicamp. And then I would hit the alarm bells and say, okay, something seems a little, a little fishy with this. Uh, why is this not getting done? I remember under the Spielman regime, when they handed out some of these contract extensions or new deals with guys like, I remember it was like Limbaugh Joseph, Rudy, Harrison Smith, et cetera. It typically was always like the first or second week of training camp. So, I mean, there's a chance we don't see JJ until then, especially when you think about how massive this contract is. Like you mentioned, like it's not like they're working out like a two-year, $5 million deal with a kicker or special team guy or stuff. This is going to go down as the biggest wideout contract in the NFL, for the time being anyways, worth potentially up to... I don't know, 200, 220, $240 million. So I think both sides want to get this thing done. Everybody knows that. But because we're dealing with such a big contract, a contract of this magnitude, I'm just sure both sides want to do their due diligence and just make sure everything looks right. Uh, Reggie, the other two big names, Hunter, Dalvin Cook, they present slightly more complicated situations, obviously. Obviously, June 1st is the big date with Dalvin Cook coming up tomorrow. They've cleared... Plenty of cap space to get something done with Daniil Hunter. What's your gut say about the status of these two guys as we move further into the thick of the summer, heading into minicamp and training camp? What's maybe the good, better, best scenarios, if you will? Or what are you assuming unfolds now with both these guys? I think it's interesting posturing, too, uh, because Kevin O'Connell was very, very um effusive if you will with with his praise of alexander madison re recently mm -hmm. talking about just how he has the capabilities of being like an every down back and and all these things and it's just like hmm like what are the tea leaves reading here what mm -hmm. what are we supposed to take away from this and i think that's that tends to make you think that you know maybe the the dalvin cook thing may be a be you know setting up for a split i wonder if they are still just trying to see if they can get something for dalvin instead of just like letting him go outright because this is a you know all things considered a top five back in the league you just don't want to get rid of a guy for nothing but also it seems that they have kind of made their decision on what their salary ceiling is for that position and I, if I'm Dalvin, I don't blame you. Like by the time you get 30 years old, you're basically you're worse than a used car at that point. You know, we always talk about once you drive the car off the lot, the the depreciation is is immense. And it's more than that. The guy has had injuries just about every year of his career. He finally gets one full season of work. He still was battling an injury while he was doing that. And he's like, look, I'm only going to get a certain amount of time to maximize the amount of dollars that I can make in this point in my career. So why would I take a pay cut like that's It's not time for me to do that yet. 
And I understand that. I get that. I, I do think that he wants to be a Viking, but I also think that he wants his money too. So I just, it's interesting because we keep talking about the June one date and technically they could have done something already and kind of just like designated it, you know, post June mm -hmm. one, if, if they were going to do something, I think they are still trying to find a way to make something work if they can and just kind of taking this thing down to the wire. So that's going to be interesting to see. The whole thing with Daniil Hunter, he had a healthy season last year as well. It was a, a one-year sample size as opposed to, you know, the years prior where he was getting injured and not finishing the season. But in his mind, he's like, look, I'm, I'm the, the biggest, baddest dude that you got on this defensive line. Like, you don't know what you're going to get from Davenport. We don't have Zadarius anymore. Like, I'm the, the proven top dog alpha guy along that defensive front. So either you pay me or maybe I'll be away for a while. Maybe, you know, I, I know how to work out on my own. And it's an interesting situation because I don't think the Vikings – Interesting the phrase is not that they don't have any leverage in the situation, but I do think that they they need Daniil. So it would behoove them to get something done to to make him happy to be in Minnesota because he is a guy that they are going to need. A guy that I envision if he's healthy, gonna have you know double digit sack season, and they need that because they have lost some pieces. And so I I just think this whole thing is is interesting. We've talked about okay, they've cleared all this cap space. Could they go out and sign free agents? I think the the top priority is signing, you know, some of their own guys. It's interesting Justin Jefferson was like Sam, I know you remember. He was like, "You know, I don't I don't care about the money. You know, I just I just want to go out there and play football. That 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 whole thing, I'm not really big on." I remember him like saying that so candidly. But it's just so interesting now. I, I feel like this was kind of like a, a soft rev up of like, oh, Justin Jefferson's not participating. Oh, th does he want a contract, a new contract? Is that what is that what he's not there for? Like, is I, I don't know. It kind of seems like news to me a little bit that he would kind of be away from the team waiting on a, a new contract when he still has a, another year left on the deal. He's going to get paid pretty handsomely. And considering the the state of the Vikings cap this year, I just wonder if they were just like, oh, come on, man, throw us a bone. We're, we're still just trying to get above water here. And he's just like, no, go, go ahead and go ahead and pay up. It's, it's time. Find it really hard to believe they went into this offseason thinking, they're comfortable and okay with punting on both Zadarius and Daniil Hunter. Like, there's just no way. Brian Flores is just sweating, going, can we just get some more talent in here? Can I get my guys back? But to that point, I think like the JJ contract, I think a deal does get done sooner than later with Daniil Hunter, especially, like you said, Reggie, now that they have all this extra cap. And quick reminder with Delvin Cook, by the way, after today, June 1st and on, you trade him, you got 3.1 in dead, but it opens 11 million. You release him, you got 5.1 in dead, but it opens 9 million. And that 2 million guaranteed for his injury is dead cap if cut, but that moves with him in a trade. So, and we've talked about this, I mean, what, for three months now, but even if you get a six, a conditional fifth in 2025, clearly the numbers show if you can trade him, 
it behooves you both from a contract perspective and maybe getting a little day three pick as well. Mm -hmm. um, all right, let's get into the fun stuff here from practice. Who flashed? Who made some wild plays? Who's with the number ones? Sam, let's start on the offensive side of the ball mm -hmm. because you got J.J. out. You got Addison chilling on the sideline. Last week, you mentioned Jalen Naylor impressed uh, quite a bit, it sounds like. What the passing game look like, specifically when it came to the wideouts getting some first-team run? Yeah, I'd, I'd say a little more rotation this week. Um, there was a little more Brandon Powell than we saw last week. Brandon Powell, kind of the forgotten guy they signed this offseason, and I think his ticket to this team is probably being last year's Jalen Rager. Like he's probably the punt returner Rager may or may not make it. And then he's maybe a fifth option in the passing game. But, but Brandon Powell is that quick little guy who, you know, can run to the sideline, catch the little quick out and then turn up field. He does have some shiftiness to him. Uh, it was fun to see him get involved both weeks. I have seen them use the jet sweep in excess um, mm. with Rager, with Naylor, with Powell, with Osborne. They're loving that jet motion, which I think could be a big part of this offense and just motion in general. But um, I saw Osborne probably make the two best catches of the day for touchdowns. One of them, he got shaken up. I think he got the wind knocked out of him. I think he's all right. Um, Jalen Naylor, another nice day. Did have a couple contested drops, but he made a couple great plays as well. Um, and, then, uh, and then Rager, you know, was involved made a couple catches. They worked him in with the ones. So it was mainly the Powell, Rager, uh, Naylor, and Osborne show kind of working with those those number ones. And then, uh, hey, guys, Josh Oliver as a tight end, I know he's not known as a pass catcher, and we don't really know how he's going to be deployed yet, but he is such a big target. Uh, there was a quote once where uh, Kirk Cousins told Kyle Rudolph, hey, when I throw to you, it's like I'm throwing to a mattress. You just take up a lot of space and you've like got these really soft hands. Um, throwing to Josh Oliver, it's like a cloud, man. I mean, he's just a, just a huge presence. And he seems to have a little bit of athleticism to him, too. I mean, he's not – this is not just a kind of big, like, you know – uh, waddling tight end out there. He's he's legit. So I'm I'm excited to see wow how they get him involved in the passing game as well. Good to hear, by the way, Jalen Rager getting some sort of run with the wideouts finally because I just think after trading multiple picks, not just one, but multiple draft picks for him, he's just got so much pressure on him to step up and make some sort of impact either in the passing game on offense or special teams. Uh, Reg, KOC talked about the running back two role uh, being kind of a big competition right now. Ty Chandler and Kenny both getting some run yesterday. How important is it for both these guys to make a good impression early on in OTAs and just getting the good graces of coaches before training camp, knowing full well, even if Dalvin does move on, there's four legitimate talent running backs fighting for some playing time inside this running back rotation, and there's only one ball to go around here. I think it's a great problem to have mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, you, you draft Ty Chandler – Luke, you were really excited about him last year. And, you know, he had the injury. He showed some flashes, though. And I think, you know, they obviously – what's been interesting about um, KOC and specifically Kwesi is when they draft guys, like, they don't just draft guys for bodies. Like, Kwesi has been on record saying, like, hey, our draft class last year – we expect those guys to contribute. We we are looking forward to what they are going to do. And it was his first draft, and I feel like he's like, look, these are my guys. I want them to succeed. I want them to do well. 
and Ty Chandler is in that class. And I think that is a good, that, that's a good problem to have. He talked about his praise for Alexander Madison and what he could do. So it's like, okay, if things don't work out with Cook, he's going to be a guy. Well, you need some other guys behind him. And if you have guys like Ty Chandler, Dwayne McBride, and, you know, anyone else that may kind of rise up and, and do what they need them to do in that offense, like it's a luxury. And I think that's something that is very, very intriguing uh, for guys like us. And from the fan perspective, like who can step up and who's going to be like the next dynamic person in that backfield that's going to help, you know, they've already kind of, kind of alluded to with some of the signings you talk about Josh Oliver they're going to be a little bit more smash mouth with with some of the run game and you know that's going to help the offense because last year when you got guys getting touched and tackled behind the line of scrimmage when they get the ball like then all of a sudden you're forced into these passing situations and it's not keeping the defense honest and so if you have some guys who can you know Ty Chandler is a home run hitter and so if you give him the ball and and all of a sudden, you know, you shoot him out of a cannon and, and he's off to the races 30, 40, 50 yards, like that is a weapon for the offense. And it only just keeps the ball out of the defense's hands. And that's that's really what you want uh, moving forward with this offense. Yeah, Chandler's a home run hitter. So is Kenny, too. It's crazy. Both these guys, they got two guys with such crazy home run speed. And then you got your two more, I guess, in between the tackles bruisers with Madison and Dwayne McBride. Just going to be so interesting. I know a lot of people are curious how they deploy and kind of rotate these guys in and out. Before we flip over to the defense, Sam, I know Brian O'Neill recovering on the rehab field. Who's been taking the starting right tackle reps over there with the ones? And I guess, have you noticed anything unique or maybe different about the offensive line groupings at all, just in general? So I would have assumed Blake Brandle would, would be that guy, but he has not been. Only Udo Ooh. has been moved back to that right tackle spot as their swing tackle, so to speak, which is interesting because I felt like Brandle played well last year um, and they obviously re-signed him to come back to this team. I thought that he'd be the preferred option, but right now it's Udo. That could change. I, Udo's not a guy that I have uh, written in stone on this roster. He is in the contract year and he has had his share of uh, fair share of struggles. So we'll see, but right now they're trying him out there. Otherwise on the offensive line, you know, it, it has been a little bit tough to follow the backup depth chart because they have two fields. They've got a field for the starters and like certain key backups, but then most of the twos are on the other field and you kind of have to choose which one you watch. And most of us watch the ones. So I don't have a great sense for like the, the, the twos rotation yet. Um, but with the ones, it has been consistent with the exception of Udo being in for the, in there for O'Neill. You know, out of all the position groups, it really does feel like this offensive line spot has by far the least amount of questions surrounding it, doesn't it? I mean, you got the same starting five returning. Then even the backups, whether it's Blake Brandle one day or Oliudo the next, you got Verdarian Lowe backing those guys up. I guess the only real mystery right now is the interior backups, how that's going to shake out by the time we get to week one. A lot of time between now until then. Uh, how about the defensive side of the ball here? Let's start in the secondary because we all know this corner back group it's going to be like a day-by-day -day thing so who was getting the work opposite of Byron Murphy Sam and what have you noticed about you know how they've rotated these guys in and out thus far anything noteworthy there 
Yeah, so last week, Byron Murphy was limited. He was not playing uh, in the 11-on-11, so uh, we saw Evans and Booth. Yesterday, we saw Murphy out there, and the guy opposite him to start was Evans, which I think makes sense. I think that makes sense that he'd be the other number one. And curiously, they rotated Evans with Jawan Williams. I didn't see Andrew Booth get a lot of work with the ones yesterday. They had the veteran Jawan Williams, who, who stands really tall back there he is huge as a cornerback he's like 6'2 um so I thought that was a little bit interesting that Andrew Booth wasn't necessarily considered with the ones or even the, the key back up there uh with Byron Murphy on the field and then Harrison Smith back out there at safety Harrison Smith accompanied by Cam Bynum that's the combo you'd expect and seeing a lot of scene and Metellus as uh, as the backups Jay Ward over on the backup field he wasn't involved in that rotation uh, so that was what the secondary looked like yesterday, but I'm seeing a lot of Josh Metellus kind of roving around, moving in the box, moving out of the box. I think that's a guy that they they see a role for potentially in this defense. Yeah, we talk a lot about who's it going to be, Bynum or Lewis Seen. Don't forget about Josh Metellus, too. Every time he's been on the field, guy's just making some plays. And it's still so early in the process, too. doesn't surprise me a ton. Just right now, May 31st, see a veteran like Jojuan Williams getting some first-team looks. But I got to imagine, as we get further into camp, they're going to give more and more opportunities to a guy like Andrew Booth just to earn his stripes because – I mean, you and I both know full well, like when you invest an early second round pick on a guy, that's a player you expect to be a long term contributor and part of the game plan when it comes to starting in 2023. Uh, Reg, everybody, everybody you talk to on this defensive side of the ball speaks so highly of Brian Flores' defense thus far. Aggressive, intense, exotic, fast. I mean, when you hear those kind of buzzwords, Who's a player or two you really think is just going to thrive in that kind of system that maybe wasn't truly maximized just from a skill set perspective under Ed Donatel? Which guys do you think really bust out under Brian Flores' defense in 2023? I think there's a reason why they kept Jordan Hicks. I think mm -hmm. he can be productive in that defense. I also think that a guy like Harry is going to be productive. He's back at OTAs. He was talking yesterday about how excited he is to really just kind of learn the defense first, but also the the type of things that he can do. You know, I, I envision him being in the box a little bit more. You know, I, I like how Sam talked about Metellus and him kind of roving around. Like, what if there's a situation where there's like a three-safety look with Metellus, uh, Smith, and Scene just – you know, kind of doing their things and just allowing them to be athletes and, and do the things that they're good at. You know, Harry coming off the edge on a blitz or, you know, disguising it. And then he's dropping back in the coverage. Like the possibilities are just so endless. I also envision, I think yesterday too, Byron Murphy was talking about how he feels like he has a little bit to prove he missed a lot of last season with that back injury and he's coming back trying to show that he is a an elite corner and they're banking on him to be that top guy on that defense as well and he talked about the possibility of uh blitzing as well and can you imagine you line a guy like Murphy up in the slot on say who who do they have say on Sky Moore or something in the mm -hmm. Chiefs game, and then all yeah. of a sudden he's coming off the the slot and coming at Patrick Mahomes, and like the defense is just going to be crazy. Like I'm excited to see. Whereas 
Donatel was kind of vanilla. He wanted the guys to just kind of be the guys. I think sometimes you have to put players in better positions to succeed. And I think Flores is going to do that with some of the exotic looks and, and things like that. Like this defense might be chaotic next year. And if they can all kind of buy in and, and learn what they're supposed to do on a game-to-game basis and not be out there thinking like I feel like they kind of were last year under Donatel. Like, wait, where am I supposed to be? Some guys just kind of looking lost last year. I think it could really pay off because they are making quite the risk uh, with what they're doing on defense, not really kind of signing some some bigger-name free agents, kind of getting rid of some of the, you know, guys like Patrick Peterson and, you know, Cam Dantzler and things like that. I think – it's going to be interesting to see how they employ some of the guys that they do have there. They have a little bit of youth on their side as well. They've gotten younger on that defensive side as well. So I'm excited to see, you know, what they do. And also a guy like Brian Asamoah, a guy who can run sideline to sideline, how Flores employs him as well to, um, to kind of attack the, the offense. Byron Murphy lingering back injury from carrying the Cardinals defenses for what, three, four years. I can't honestly with JJ Watt out. I know they drafted Isaiah Simmons. Can you guys name three defensive players for the Cardinals? Top of your head right now. Go. I I was thinking about this yesterday because of, because of joint practices. Right. Right. So I was like, all right, uh, Cardinals coming. Who's interesting on the Cardinals? Uh, Uh, JJ. What? No, he's no, not anymore. Uh, Yeah. I got like Patrick, Patrick Peterson. Wait, (laughs) no, hit the time machine Uh, to your point. Yeah. We'll touch on those joint practices here in a second, but to your point about the defense. Yeah. A lot of high expectations, a lot of excitement from fans about this Brian Flores defense. Sam, uh, as we wrap up defense side of the ball, just talk to us about the front seven. Uh, No Zadarius, no Hunter. So who's getting time with the ones at edge rusher now and just any Mm -hmm. other notes and observations you can share with us from yesterday's practice. Yeah. Um, Real quick piggyback too off of what what Reggie said before I get into that. Yeah, I think I, I want fans to also have sort of a realistic view of of who Brian Flores is. Like he is not he he is does not have like this uh, supernatural ability to squeeze a top ten defense out of any group. He, his defense in Miami his first year was last in the NFL. And that was a terrible looking defense. Like, I don't know, like talk about not knowing any Cardinals. I don't know any dolphins here either. Um, but this is not really a great Vikings defense either on paper. So, uh, let, let's also be a little bit patient with Brian Flores too. I think as he has to build this thing, that's all I have to say on that. Um, defensive line, Marcus Davenport. One of the keys to this defense is I think Davenport has to be a three down guy. And how are they going to make him a three-down guy? Well, he's got to be in position to stop the run. Well, they're working him inside a little bit in that five-tech spot. Mm. And maybe maybe they don't love him you know, defending the run from that edge position. Maybe they feel like it puts him on too much of an island. They're working him inside a little bit as a five-tech. So they've got Davenport, Patrick Jones, and DJ Wanham on the field at the same time. When Davenport's lined up as outside linebacker, it seems like Wanham is their preferred uh, backup right now, the other guy uh, on the other side, and Patrick Jones is not far behind. They've kind of been rotating. Did see a little bit of Luigi Villane. Now, that was an undrafted free agent that they kept on the roster all last year. They basically redshirted him, stashed him away for a season. We didn't see him, and and maybe they're going to unveil some packages with Villane this year. Um, But I got to tell you, without... Daniil Hunter, it is not a formidable 
pass rush, honestly. I mean, I mean, Marcus Davenport, you know, he gives you a little potential. He gives you something. But if it's Wanham and Patrick Jones and Luigi Villain as your two, three, and four edge guys, you, you're going to need more. Um, you're not going to get pass rush from Harrison Phillips and, and Kyrus Tonga and, uh, you know, maybe a little bit from Dean Lowry. You, you need more than what you have, I think, with Davenport and then a bunch of, I think, role players around him. Yeah, and you got to get a pass rush one way or the other. You got to get pressure on the quarterback. Maybe that means Brian Flores is going to end up having to dial up the blitz more time than not to create some of that pressure. Super interesting, though, about Davenport in that five-tech and not at the edge. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, end of the day, you just want your best 11 guys on the field, more plays than not, and that's always been Brian Flores' MO just in general. So knowing that, I wonder if he sees something in guys like – Jones or Wanham and says to himself, I got to find a way once Daniel Hunter comes back in the mix. Plus they got Brian Asamoah, who you know they're going to deploy as a third down blitzer as well. I got to find a way to get some of these guys on the field more times than not. Even if that means moving a guy like Marcus Davenport inside with his hand in the dirt. Was Harrison Phillips on the rehab field? Is he working through an injury or was he in that starting rotation? No, he's rehabbing. Um, he is- yep. So Davenport, would have been taking like Jonathan Bullard's spot in that package with Kyrus Tonga has been starting at the nose without Phillips and then Dean Lowry to the right of him. So so the three down were Lowry, Tonga and Davenport or, or Bullard. And then on the edges, it's been, you know, Davenport or Wanham or Jones or some combination of those three. Got it. And uh, the Phillips injury, any update or kind of know what sort of timetable or what's going on with that? Yeah, I got nothing. Um, I don't remember. That there one just being... seems like it kind of popped up out of nowhere. I didn't know he was dealing with anything or anything lingering from last year, to my knowledge, anyways. Yeah, and you know they they definitely take care of their vets. Like if even if it's something very minor, they're going to have an abundance of caution. But uh, it's probably something that we'll have to get a you know get a question in about here in the next couple of weeks. We've got two more weeks left of this, and if we don't see him, that would pr- insinuate that there probably was a surgery, right? Because there's no there, there was no no time for him to get injured playing football since he was out in the first OTA. So that might have been an offseason thing uh, that we'll have to ask about and, and see if maybe he'll be uh, out until camp. Uh, any final thoughts, tidbits that just stuck out to you from yesterday's practice uh, before we jump into a quick uh, mailbag uh, question or two? I know last week you were kind of gushing about Jalen Naylor, guys who turned some heads. I know you mentioned K.J. Osborne came down with two touchdown grabs. Anybody else mm-hmm. just in the uh, closing statements here? Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes the story is like like with Phillips, like with Jefferson, it's about the guys that aren't doing anything. And with Addison, uh, we got uh, a little bit of information on why he's not participating. It says he got, uh, KOC said he got banged up at the end of rookie minicamp. And uh, that's just a little concerning, Luke, you know, when you've got an undersized wide receiver to begin with, durability is going to be a factor with him. He gets tweaked in the combine. Right. And then he gets tweaked again during rookie minicamp after a couple days. So you already, you know, you see just the, the, this first round pick is not immune to injury. And we've been so spoiled with Justin Jefferson, never really never getting injured. He had one little training camp injury, but he's never been affected by that. Well, the same might not be the case for, uh, for Jordan Addison, if he's already had a couple minor injuries uh, in this off season. So just something to, to watch for with his durability going forward. No, a lot of good points there. All right, coming up, over under 
45 mil a year for Kirk Cousins next season. But first, quick reminder. Don't forget, guys, we're presented by FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of Locked On, America's number one sportsbook and official sportsbook partner of the MLB. Twins taking on the Astros in game three tonight. Get in on all the action at FanDuel.com slash Locked On. And remember, if you're a new customer, got to try out the no sweat first bet. Up to $1,000 in bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Download the easy-to-use FanDuel app and get your winnings instantly. Money lines, parlays, prop bets. FanDuel's got everything you need to bet on the entire MLB season. FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of Locked On. All right, fellas. Mailbag time. First one coming from at Skolaholics. Will Kirk's extension be two to three years fully guaranteed yet again? And if you had to guess, over or under, $45 million per year on average. Uh, it's a good question. Just real quick, here are the quarterbacks making more than forty-five per year on average in 2023. Lamar and Jalen Hurts just signed those two massive deals. Aaron Rodgers in New York, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, and Patrick Holmes. Josh Allen just under that at 43 per year, followed by Daniel Jones. He just signed that new contract extension. Dak Prescott, Stafford, Derek Carr, and then Kirk Cousins. Reggie, your thoughts on what a Cousins contract extension might look like? Let's uh, and and Reggie too. Like, let's think about it. Like, if he's on the open market, is mm-hmm. that different, or do you think that goes for more? than if he's re-signing with the Vikings. I think that has to be played into it as well. Uh, I was going to say I abstain from <laughs> this conversation just because I don't know what that looks like. I think if if Kirk comes – what what would you guys say keeps him in Minnesota? Does, does he have to take them to – like an NFC championship or like does he have a season where he throws for nearly 5,000 yards and like 35 plus touchdowns and single digit interceptions? Like what do you guys think would get him an extension with Minnesota? I think probably a top 10 offense, right? I mean, we're already expecting that. So that's not like going above and beyond, though. He's got all the weapons and help and then making the playoffs again. And then I think the third thing, and this is a a huge factor, I think it depends on where the Vikings are picking next year, too, and just how in love they are with some of these top quarterbacks coming out. Caleb Williams, Drake May, Michael Penix, we talked about him last week, Ewers from Texas. There's tons of them because... I think whichever side has more leverage in negotiating could drive Kirk's price up or down a couple mil, depending on you know what type of other options both camps have when they get to that point in the offseason. But curious, Sam, your thoughts on that as well. I think a lot of it depends on how they feel about next year's draft. Yeah, um, Kirk Cousins could kind of play his way into another contract with the Vikings by pushing that draft pick further back into the first round if they're picking 26th and he can deliver multiple playoff wins and not show any sign of decline and perhaps even show a sign of improvement in year two of the system. Because I, I do think there is room for him to, to get a lot better. Um, even though the win total might drop a game or two or three, I think he as a quarterback can actually be a lot better than he was last year. Um, you know, the fourth quarter comebacks were great, but that also masked some other, like kind of the middle quarters where stuff wasn't very good. Um, I think that the Vikings probably could change their mind on this. I think they they have legitimately decided to kick the can down the road and 
wait on this decision. I speculated with Arifas on yesterday that they believe that Kirk Cousins can kind of be brought back to Minnesota from the open market. Like maybe they don't see a field of risk of letting him hit the open market because of the things Kirk values, which are, you know, family continuity, um, wanting to stay in this system. I think what would make the Vikings still the favorite to re-sign him, even if he was available to all teams. Um, as far as the numbers, the star should be reported that Kirk's camp was willing to take a contract extension of $40 million per year, which would put him about 10th in the league. So actually, maybe a little bit of a discount. Um, If he hits the open market and he sees some of the numbers thrown at him from other teams, which might be closer to 45, that might up what the agent is negotiating because he might say, hey, guys, you didn't take the discount deal when he was on on, on your books last year. Now he's a free agent. Um, sorry, the price is higher. And, and I think that that could legitimately push it to 45 or more. Now, I don't know if it's with the Vikings, Skolaholics, but whatever Kirk's next contract is, I do think is 45 million or more. And I think it's probably three years. Yeah, a lot of good points on that. Check that episode out, by the way, yesterday with Arif Hassan and Sam Ekstrom on the football party. I think the number one thing that they wanted to make sure they did going into this offseason with Kirk Cousins was not having their hands tied behind their back going into next year. So even though it's going to cost them a little bit more this year, you got the huge dead cap hit possibly next year that they're facing. They just wanted to make sure they had all their options open going into next offseason. So a lot of good points. Uh, last one here, guys, real quick. KOC and announced yesterday the Vikings will host joint practices before their week two and week three preseason games with the Titans and Cardinals. Obviously, the Vikings are playing those teams in the preseason that week, so it makes sense logistically then. Bring those teams in a few days earlier. You maximize those last few days of training camp versus another opponent. KOC called it, quote, a tremendous opportunity to have four-plus days of tremendous competition, end quote. Reggie, when you look back to last year, with the Vikings and 49ers joint practices. Why are these things so meaningful and impactful for the players and coaches, I guess? And who are you just most excited to see come to town and suit up from either one of those rosters? Can you imagine Derrick Henry lining up <laughs> and Brian Ivan Pace Jr. meeting him in the hole at five, <laughs> nine and a half? Let's go. It's just like, oh, man, or or like, him meeting up with Daniil or right. Big Harry, horrible Harry down there in the middle. I think what's cool about this is it kind of gives you a barometer of where you are and it helps ahead of week one. Because if you look at last year, we were so frustrated. I think it's just like a, from a media coverage standpoint and from the fans as well. We had no idea what the Vikings were going to look like because they didn't really play any of their offensive starters last year in the preseason. And so we're just like, what is this new offense going to look like? And then they came out against the Packers and you're like, whoa, this is fun. (laughs) And so I think what's cool about this is, and and probably why he's like, look, we're going to do two teams. Okay. We can do two teams. Tell the Cardinals, come on in here. Tell the Titans, come on in here. They're matching up their first team with their first team. And that's the first, real time that they are getting a look at other competition ahead of week one, like real competition, because they aren't probably going to play 
some of the ones in the preseason. So you don't really get that competition there, but you will see it in that practice. And it kind of gives you a barometer of where you are, except, you know, instead of always just your ones going against the ones on defense and you're just playing against yourselves and you don't know what exactly, you know, the team is going to look like against other teams and other competition. And so as long as these guys can stay healthy, I just see it as a benefit because, Competition just breeds excellence. And the more you you have competition leading up into the season, I feel like the more confident you feel and, and just the more like comfortable you feel as well. Like, okay, we've seen other opponents already headed into week one. So we feel good about where we are coming into this Buccaneers matchup. Yeah, Sam, I remember last year you were out there and you said there was just a noticeable difference in intensity when the Niners came to town and just the overall just buzz the energy was way up with the fans and the stands as well thoughts on just double dipping and getting two different teams in town what you're looking forward to the most as well with those yeah I mean they they rolled out the red carpet for the 49ers and think about who was coming to town with them I mean some of the biggest stars in the game Kittle Bosa they, they did have some injuries too which kept out some guys and they still had a lot of star power out there Trey, Trey Lance Williams. Minnesota native getting out there um these two rosters, Arizona and Tennessee, how many games are they going to win combined? Eight? Set like the, t- the Titans are clearly a team on the decline. Uh, to answer your Cardinals question about defensive players, Buda Baker, Isaiah Simmons, and then Crickets. Like, I've got nothing. Kazir White. And uh, I think Buda asked for a trade. Yeah. Yeah. I he might not even be around. Get me out of here. <laughs> Hey, Chris yeah. Boyd. We're forgetting the obvious. Chris Boyd. Oh, yes. The um, the odds-on favorite to start a scuffle, I think, in mm-hmm. the uh, joint practices, mm-hmm. probably with uh, with JJ. So, yeah, that's uh, it's not going to be quite as star-studded as the 49ers joints, but having them back-to-back weeks is going to be a ton of fun. I'm telling you, after three weeks of training camp, to break up the monotony and have another team to go against as a observer and a journalist is huge i can't imagine how cool it is as a player to have that opportunity it's going to take a lot of the luster out of the games themselves we're barely going to see the starters guys that's how this this coaching staff operates we might see just a handful of fringe starters just so they can like field a roster but the games will not be as interesting as these practices so you get a chance to see will levis uh maybe some malik willis out there for the titans and uh, yeah, Derrick Henry, I'm looking forward to that as well. Their wide receiving core, not quite as uh, as sexy. Nick Westbrook, Akina, Traylon Burks, and Kyle Phillips considered their starters. Not, uh, not the best wide receiver trio in the league. By the way, does this happen if the Vikings don't have TCO and it wasn't voted the number one practice facility in the NFL? Like, How much do you think that no. came into play here? Because obviously, maybe another example of what happens when you build such an amazing facility in Egan to not be able to just pull one team, but two teams. I mean, are there any other teams hosting multiple joint practices in the league, or are the Vikings the only one? Does anybody know? Has that info or schedule been released yet? Do we know any of that info yet? All I yes. know... All I know is the Cardinals are coming into town like, man, can we stay? This right. Is, this right. is so much better. We got this food's free? This yeah. food's free? That was oh. the first thing Byron Murphy said yeah. in his presser. He was looking forward to some free meals. You got millionaires talking about they're looking forward to free meals in the facility. Man. How about that? Man. Chris Boyd's like, can I come back? 
guys, I'll play for free, please. Right. Just please. ran up a um, huge tab in the cafeteria. Yeah. Th- this might be the first time there's been double joint practices. I can't recall that ever happening. Certainly not with the Vikings. Um, and you know, if not for the pandemic, I think the Vikings would have had this every year. Like, cause remember they had Jacksonville year one, then Denver was, was that year two? Uh, they had, that was Sean, uh, George Payton coming back. And then obviously the 49ers last year, like I think the pandemic kind of interrupted things, but this is the place to have joint practices. If any, if you're going to have them and to have two, remember you have to have two home preseason games. And with only three preseason games, only half the league is getting those double preseasons. So not everyone can do it. The Vikings have a special opportunity here, and uh, they're taking advantage of it. I'm, I'm excited. That's going to make training camp way more fun. Yeah, it's one thing for multiple teams to say, oh, we're going to do multiple joint practices. We're going to have two teams come in, or maybe we'll have one team come in, and then we'll go to another. It's another thing if the Vikings, we find out the Vikings are the only one to be able to host two different teams for joint practices. That speaks volumes, I think, again, just about the amazing facility they have at TCO and Egan. Um, All right, great stuff per usual today, fellas. Vikings OTAs pick back up today. Make sure to join us tomorrow for the football party. We've got Arif Hassan, Luke Bronze, Sam and myself for that. Reggie's back with us Friday for the roundtable with Ron Johnson. That's a wrap today. They'll remember, like, rate, review, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Join us every day for another episode of the Football Party, your one-stop shop breakdown of everything Minnesota Vikings. That's Sam Ekstrom on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom. Check him out every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Co-host of the Ron Johnson Show, that's Reggie Wilson. Sports Director for CARE 11 on Twitter, at Reggie Wilson TV. Thanks for tuning in to the Football Party, part of the Lockdown Sports Minnesota Network. We're back tomorrow with the football party but until then i'm luke inman on twitter at luke underscore spinman signing out be blessed spread love